Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. our Savior's Church. How are you? Are we excited to be in church today? Some of you. That's not what they told me you did out at the side of the parade this week. Uh, True story. One of our pastors said this uh, a couple years back. Stopped by a parade, saw one of the guys from church up on a float with his drawers on his head, smoking a big old cigar. So this is my gift to you during Mardi Gras season. Your pastor is not going to be at a parade, so you don't have to worry about him seeing you um, while, while you're there. But your gift to me is if you do find yourself on a float, please keep your underwear on your bottom and not your head. Um, welcome to today. We have been in a series talking about relationships, talking about relationships. I've said things like the kingdom of God is built upon relationship. Everything God will ever do in your life will come in the form of a relationship. We talked a few weeks ago how the enemy wants you to settle for the temporary when we should be focused on the eternal. How many of you remember that? We talked about being made in his image. What does that mean? That means we have the capacity to understand relationships in such this way. We know when they're not right. You ever wondered where that came from? When there's a relationship that you have and something's not right there in the middle, where does that come from? That comes from God. It's because we're made in his capacity. Last week, we talked about how to spot a fake and how we want to sometimes we settle for counterfeits. And we talked about how when I've seen the real thing, I won't settle for a counterfeit. Counterfeits are just, in our relationships, they're distortions of the real thing. And today, I hope you're ready, we're going to pick up on that idea that the enemy has a plan to distort and counterfeit your relationships. Turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 10. We've, we've covered this verse before. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, this is Jesus talking, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Those words, steal, kill, and destroy. What is he trying to steal? What is he kind of trying to kill? What is he trying to destroy? Well, Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And there are passages in Ephesians and in James and John and in Jude that tell us, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus and truly believed, we're saved. The word there is we are kept in him. Jesus actually said, no one can snatch me and snatch them out of my father's hand. So here's my question for you today. If the enemy cannot take from us our salvation, what is he trying to steal? What is he trying to steal? We've been given a gift. And the truth is, if the enemy can keep us from seeing it as a gift, that he doesn't have to take it from us, we'll just discard it on our own. Some of us don't even realize we've been robbed into thinking that a gift we've been given is something that we should throw away. Last weekend at the end of the service, I walked back to the back where I keep my bag and put my stuff away, and I saw a drawing on the table, and it looked like somebody had, had drawn something. I wasn't quite sure what it was at the time, but it was, it was kind of left there, and I thought, well, let me straighten up and, 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 and get things going before I leave. And I had this thought, I wonder if this thing was left for me. So I put it in my Bible and, and, and went on, and 
Sure enough, one of my children caught me after service. Hey, Dad, did you see the picture that I left for you? I sure did, yep, and I kept it. I stuck it right in my Bible. How awkward would it have been for me to say, oh, no, I didn't know that was for me. I didn't realize that was something that you had for me. Could you imagine someone walking up to you with a wrapped package? You open it, don't understand it, and then you throw it away right in front of them? What if you were the gift giver and somebody did that to you? Today we're going to talk about singleness. You say, well, Pastor Don, we're talking about relationships. What are you doing talking about singleness? And that's precisely my point. The enemy has us thinking that being single is the absence of a relationship when the Bible paints a completely different picture. In fact, it's not the absence of a relationship. It's the priority of a relationship. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Don? Listen, every one of us is single at some point. Every one of us is single. When God created Adam, before he created Eve, Adam was single. You and I are single. Even those of us that were married, there was a season in our life where we were single. Why? That season is important for us to learn how to love God fully before we ever try to love anyone else. You know you can't possibly learn to love somebody else if you haven't learned to love God and learn your, love yourself. The first commandment isn't love your mate. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And you have to see this clearly or you're going to go back and forth in your beliefs. James uses this phrase to describe what it means to go back and forth in our beliefs. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 8. He says, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That word double-minded is a really neat Greek word. It's dipsukos. And it's two souls. The die in that word represents two. And the sukos is kind of where we get psychology from. It's spelled very similar. It's literally two souls or being of two beliefs. It's like you're a spiritual schizophrenic. Imagine that, having two different minds. And the title of our message today, for those of you that are taking notes, is single-minded. Single-minded, understanding how God wants us to view singlehood in a culture that seeks to distort our relationships. I was praying for our church this week as I prepared this message, and I, I made a list of every single person that I could think of in this church that was in this season of life. And it's, it's, it's much larger than you would think, right? Because we're not just talking about people who are single or married. Some of us are single again. You may not realize this, but in the U.S. alone, 50% of marriages end in divorce, and that percentage skyrockets when you're talking about a second and a third marriage. I know many in our church that are recently widowed or have lost their mate some time ago, and they find themselves in this single again season. I also know some in our church that are acting like you're married, but you haven't made that commitment to the Lord yet. This is, a, this is a season for you to learn how to love God first and fully before you try to love somebody else that way. And I just want to tell you for a second, let me help you. If that's the season that you find yourself in, nothing pleases me more than to be in a conversation with a couple that has been living together and, and not doing it God's way and look at me. And I see the shame that's on their face and as a result of us talking and saying, hey, God's got a path for us back to purity. God's got a path for you back to marriage. I'll help you right now. We'll show up right here after service and take care of the whole thing. And to watch shame melt off of someone's face 
when they realize that I can make it right before God. That's a big deal. There's a season that we need to be careful with. And then even discussing singlehood can be a challenge, and not just because of so many single and single again, but being single at 20 looks different than being single at 30, doesn't it? And it looks different at being single at 40 or even difficult being single at 70. Some of us are single by choice and some aren't. And we're living frustrated in our singleness. So here's what we're going to talk about today. What does the Bible say about being single? Part of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church is actually a response to them. They, he was there ministering and they sent him a series of questions from the church, asking him to clarify some of the things that he had taught. Now, you need to know this about the Corinthian church. They were so wicked in their thinking and so wicked in their sexuality. They had all kinds of distortions from God's truth. They actually understood Paul to say, y'all not supposed to have sex at all. And they asked him this. And here's what he, he wrote back. He said, no, no, no. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that sex should be between a man and a woman. And each man should have one wife, and each wife should have one husband. Anything else, he said, is sexual immorality. He goes through this whole letter, talks about believers being married to unbelievers. He even speaks to difficult marriages and whether someone should leave or not. Aren't you grateful for God's word? Aren't you grateful for God's word? It's truth never changes. It has endured the rise and fall of civilizations and relationships for thousands of years, and it is an instruction manual for those of us that are in this world, but not of this world. God calls it a sword, and we're to use it as such in the climate that we find ourselves in. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive in order to obey Christ. And this book can help you find the right mindset when it comes to your singlehood. Let's look at chapter 7. As it progresses, he responds to this question about remaining single. Verse 25 he says, now concerning the betrothed, the word there is virgins. He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed man marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Now before we jump to conclusions, let's just keep reading a little bit further. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And then in the next verse, verse 35, he gives us the key here. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. An undivided devotion to the Lord. Many of you know I grew up in a single-parent home for a good part of my early childhood. And uh, in the formative years of my life, I watched my mom be bounced from relationship to relationship. I, 
She loved God, and I know she meant well, and I really believe that she was looking for the best type of future for us boys as we were growing up. But here's what I remember most. She was always in a relationship, always in a relationship. Some lasted a long time, some didn't, but there was always a boyfriend. So guess what my young life was like growing up when I got old enough to be in relationships? You guessed it, always in a relationship. One girlfriend to the next. I honestly can't remember a time in my young adult life where I wasn't pursuing a relationship. It was like something in me was missing or broken, and I kept trying to find someone to fill that gap. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I I couldn't be satisfied single. The first time I was successfully single was actually in Bible school. There was a requirement for all incoming freshmen that no dating was allowed. And at the time, I thought it was controlling. I thought it was manipulative. I, I thought it was unrealistic. But looking back, I realized this. It was a gift. It was a gift to me. Why is that? For the first time in my life, my affections were not divided. My affections weren't, weren't, weren't divided. I could sit around and not have to wait for a text message from that person. I could sit around and talk to that person that I was the focus of my heart. Any time I wanted to, I could open this word and hear straight from God. I didn't have to worry if they were going to call me back. Many times I fell asleep late at night in conversation, not with that significant other, but in prayer to God growing in my relationship. I had never had a friendship with a girl that I didn't have other motives for. And let me tell you, during that year, God rewired my heart He rewired my mind, and he reset my affection so much so that I remained single for the better part of the next three years, growing in my relationship with God. Let me tell you, looking back on that, I can't imagine trying to develop a formative relationship with Jesus, having another relationship right alongside of me. Those of you that are married and have kids that have recently come to the Lord, I want you to know I pray for you, and I'm so glad that you're here so we can help you. We want to help you take next steps and and be in in small groups, and I want you to see all those different things, because if you're trying to bring a relationship with God on top of existing relationships, it's very hard. It's possible, but it's hard. And I get what Paul's saying in this passage. As a husband, I'm no longer allowed to just pursue God. I have to pursue her. I have to pursue her. I have to encourage. I have to dig around and find out what's going on. You think it's hard learning Greek and Hebrew. Try learning woman. It, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's difficult. I had to learn a whole new language to be married. As a father, I I can no longer focus exclusively on cultivating my relationship with the Lord. I have to focus on cultivating a relationship with them. I have to work work on focusing on uh, cultivating their relationship with God as well. I'm divided. I'm divided. I no longer have that single-minded focus. My devotion is divided. I, I wake up in the morning, and I get up before everybody else does so I can have as much time as possible. But I promise you, my prayer time is going to be divided when somebody walks through the door just to see, is this the day where we're going to catch Daddy not in his Bible? And truth be told, no, it's not. I am focusing on the Lord. But I put my book aside 
and I come over and give those little ones a hug and a kiss on the cheek, I'm divided in my devotion. Y'all follow me? That's what Paul's talking about here. And if you're married, by all means, stay married. (laughs) But if you're single, there's some benefit here that you may not recognize amidst all the distortions that are present in our culture. I want you to be single-minded in your relationship with the Lord. It's about Priority. I want to tell you four things today that the Bible says about singleness in any situation or season of your life. Here's the first one. It's a gift. It's a gift. The Bible says it's a gift. Did you know that the Apostle Paul was single? The Apostle Paul was single. One of the greatest conversions in all of human history was Paul's. One of the greatest missionaries of all time. Single-handedly responsible for the spread of Christianity all throughout the known world of that time. Two-thirds of your Bible written by this man, and he was single during all of it. Aren't you grateful that Paul's devotion wasn't distracted or divided? We get to grow today as a result of that. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 6 through 7. This is what he says about you. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. Why would Paul say that he doesn't want me in a relationship, Pastor Don? I I wish all were single like me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have an undivided devotion. I'm fully focused. I'm single-minded on mission in my relationship with Christ and what he has for me During this season, I want that same undivided devotion for you. And here's the last part of that same verse. He says this, but each has his own what? Gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. And I'll be honest with you. I think the church has done such a great job of extolling the benefits and the gifts of marriage that we've left the benefits of singleness in the background. Paul doesn't. He says that both of them are a gift. You realize that if you're single and a part of a healthy church like this, you can more easily be involved, not just in one small group, you can be involved in multiple small groups. You don't have to just settle for, for, for waiting for vacation times and family seasons to work out. You can travel and participate in foreign missions more than most. A single person with undivided devotion has, has margin to serve in more capacities. Let me just say this for a second. The vast majority of the people that are on our serve team serving and helping us pull church off are single. They're in that single season. The church as you know it today wouldn't be the church that it is if it weren't for the single people who are bought in, undivided in their devotion to the Lord, helping us have church the way we have it. Isn't that a gift? I'm telling you, it's a gift. And if you're single, you can invest in many different marriages by babysitting and caring for other people's children so they can go on a date night and invest in their own marriage. Hint, hint, see me after service. I'd love to introduce myself to you. Number two, number one, it was a gift. Number two, singleness must be guarded, not discarded. It must be guarded, not discarded. The way the Bible speaks of singles is so different than the way our culture does. Our underappreciation of this important gift to the body has left many vulnerable to think that they're less than or they're incomplete or that they're lacking something normal. So we buy into this lie. We buy into this lie that this season has no purpose and therefore it has no place in my story. And if you buy into that, you'll discard this season before the chapter is fully written and you'll wonder why the story isn't working out the way that you hoped it would. He's not done. He's not done. He's still writing your story And he's using this season. Now listen to me. I'm not saying singleness is easy. Probably quite the opposite. 
It's hard. It's hard. One of the greatest pieces of advice Pastor Jacob ever gave me was this. He says, you're a leader, and there's a target on your back, and if the enemy can take you out, others will follow. And those of you that are in this single season or maybe single again, I want you to know there is a target on your back. It's meant to divide you from your devotion to the Lord. You have to guard against some things. Here's some things I want to tell you you got to guard against. You have to guard against comparison and insecurity. You have to. There's nothing wrong with you. God's just not done. He's, he's helping you become Mrs. Right. I don't want you to settle for Mr. Right now. He's building something inside of you. You have to guard against loneliness. It's important. you got to guard against it. Remember, the person that God has for you isn't waiting for you to find them. God is preparing both of you. You're probably not together because one of you is not done yet. Let God do what he's doing inside your life. Don't look for them. Look for him. I'm going to share with you this principle, and it's, it's so true. When need is high, your discernment is low. When you need this more than anything else, you'll settle for things that nobody else will settle for. I had a recent conversation with a single mama, and I've had this same conversation many, many times. And, and I've watched, and we've grown together, and she's come too far to settle for less than God's best. You know, it's, it's possible to want something so bad that you'll settle for someone in order to get it. you got to be careful with that. This is a conversation. Hey, let me help you guard your heart. You've worked so hard building a fence around your heart. Let me help you install a gate, and we'll put a lock on that gate. And you can give somebody like me trusted relationship to hold the keys. And if anybody wants into the fence of your heart, let them come through me to get the keys, and I'll help decide if that's the kind of person that you need to have in your life. I know this need is high for you right now, but your discernment is low. Are you all hearing me, what I'm saying? you got to guard against comparison. you got to guard against loneliness, and you have to guard against sexual temptation. Sex is for marriage, and anything less than that is a distortion that will leave you empty and unsatisfied. It's like a great meal that's amazing in the moment, but you find yourself hungry later that same day. It wasn't meant to satisfy you that way. Can I tell you just a side note? Sexual temptation and lust does not flee when you're married. It doesn't just automatically disappear in your life. The only thing that will satisfy the heart is a full devotion to the Lord that will come. You will chase it, and you will chase it, and you will chase it, and you may have stood up there and say, I do and will never anything else until the rest of my life, so help me, God. But if God isn't helping you, you're going to struggle in those areas in your life. Let me give you some practical tips here, the Song of Solomon says, don't awaken love before it's time. you got to guard against sexual temptation. Don't expose yourself to nudity or highly romantic content. There's no healthy outlet for you. It will divide your devotions. Are you all okay? We can talk about this in church. I'm telling you, it's a gift. You need to guard against some of these things. You don't need to discard your singleness. Here's the third thing. You can desire marriage while still being content in seasons of singleness. You can desire marriage while still being content. Philippians chapter 4, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You do know Paul's writing this from prison. Does he have a need in his life? Yes. He's hungry. Does he want to stay hungry? Does he want to stay in prison? No, he actually writes Timothy and says, hey, can you bring me a coat next time you come by? This guy's days away, and he's saying, I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm in prison. I don't want to stay here, but he says this, I've learned to be content in the season that God has for me. It is a gift. I can desire another season and still be content in the one that I'm in. Well, how do I do that, Pastor Don? It's by finding the goodness of God in your current situation, not looking for it elsewhere. Find the goodness of God where you're at. Proverbs 13, 12, Solomon, one of the wisest men ever walked the the face of the earth, said this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What do you mean by hope deferred, Pastor Don? Hope deferred is this. It's believing the current contentment can only be obtained through future circumstance. I'll never be happy until then. Or when this happens, then I'll be happier. I know God has somebody for me, but until I find that person, I'm less than what God has for me. I'm telling you, the the deferred gratification of that, that hope deferred, is going to make your heart sick. And Paul's key is in the very last verse. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I want to tell you, church, you can be successful in this season of singleness no matter what God has you in, you can do it if you'll pursue this undivided devotion to the Lord. It's that undivided devotion that's going to keep you. It's going to cause you to stay in when everybody else wants you to go out. It's going to cause you to turn the channel and open your book instead of wishing you had something that you're watching on the screen. Sam Albury says this. He says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. It's sufficiency. The gospel is sufficient for every season of your life. It's a gift. You got to guard against it. It's okay to desire a different season, but you got to learn to be content with where you are. Here's the fourth thing I would share with you. Marriage is temporary too. Hold up, Pastor Don. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You do realize Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recorded this conversation between the Sadducees and Jesus. They were trying to trick him. They didn't even believe that there was anything that would happen after death. They thought that was it. That was the end. And they're they're asking Jesus. They made up this fabricated story. They say, hey, if this person dies and they remarry, and that person dies and they remarry, and that person dies and they remarry, if they find themselves in heaven, who's going to be their spouse? This is what Jesus said. Mark chapter 12. He says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Look at me, church. I love that woman. She is the center of my life. But when I get to heaven, our marriage is not going to be my concern. I'm going to be pursuing him. I'm going to be fully devoted to him. I am going to worship Jesus with everything I have. And just as no marriage is permanent, no singleness is permanent, we're all preparing for the marriage, 
We are all the bride of Christ. And listen to me. He is coming for his bride. He is coming for you. On that day when he comes, those of you that are familiar, familiar with, your, with your Bible, you know this. All pain's going to disappear. All pain, including the pain of singleness, the pain of loneliness, even the pain of every earthly marriage that is struggling to survive. There will be no more tears, no more waiting, only shouting and celebrating. I met a young lady just this morning, had a big rock on her hand. She said, Pastor, look. I didn't know she was engaged. We were celebrating and cheering and shouting. We're not going to have anything on what that party is going to look like when we get to heaven one day. And I'm so excited for that. Revelation chapter 19 says this. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. I got to to know this, church. On that day, he's not going to ask you, are you single or are you married? He's just going to ask you this, are you ready? Are you ready? On that day, it's not going to matter who you chose for a mate. It will only matter who you chose as a savior for your life. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you just thinking about what I'm saying. Listen to my voice. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. Your singleness is a gift. God has a plan. God has a purpose for this season in your life. I want you to guard it. I don't want you to discard it. It's absolutely okay for you to desire a mate, but I want you to jump in fully, and I want you to embrace an undivided devotion until God brings that person to you. And here's the ultimate mindset to have that all of this points to, and it's this. If you're married, you're looking forward to his coming too. And you're doing your best to model your marriage for an unbelieving world. They need examples to see, to show what God is like. But your earthly intimacy, no matter how rich and true, it will pale in comparison to what he has in store for you. If you're married, that same question applies. Are you ready? And if you're single, or you're single again, you're looking forward to that day too, to be undivided in your pursuit of Jesus. I want you working toward becoming the best bride for our coming king. Are you ready? So, Pastor Don, how do I know if I'm ready? Jesus was having a conversation in John chapter 3 with a very religious man. This is the kind of man that people came to to ask questions just like this. And he'd been listening to Jesus talk. He'd been listening to Jesus preach. And he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to enter in the kingdom of heaven? And you know what Jesus told him? He said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. And that phrase born again, that's not a Catholic phrase. That's not a Protestant phrase. That's not an Our Savior's Church or a Pastor Don phrase. That is a Jesus phrase. And it simply means this. He went on to explain. He said, there's a birth that happens to all of us. A natural birth, a birth that comes from the water. Every pregnant woman knows what's going to happen when the water breaks and birth comes forward and a child is delivered. He said, there's a birth that comes as a result of water, and then there's a second birth that comes as a result of the Spirit working in your life. And he said, that is being born again. When you go from being spiritually dead, having no appetite, 
for the things of the Spirit to being spiritually alive. Pastor Don, how do I know if the Spirit has done that kind of work in my life? I would tell you it's as simple as A, B, C. A stands for admit. For the first time, maybe, you're able to admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from a righteous and a loving God. Despite your best efforts, you've messed things up, and you have separated yourself of your own choosing from God's righteous standard. You need to be able to admit that. B stands for believe, and it means this. I believe that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. The penalty, the payment that was due for my sin was death, and I couldn't pay it. Jesus came and paid it for me. A stands for admit. B stands for believe. C stands for confess. I'm ready to confess him as Lord and Savior. I may have asked Jesus for help before, but I've never let him take the driver's seat to my life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I'm ready. I've never been born again. I've never asked Jesus to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Church, this is something that happens only once. Once the Holy Spirit works inside your life, you've surrendered to Jesus. You are safe, secure, and kept in his hands. But if you're here today and say, Pastor Don, I have never asked the Lord to come into my life. I have never surrendered fully to him. I'm ready to admit I believe and I'm ready to confess. Right there where you're at, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to stand you up or ask you to come up front. But I do want to know who I'm praying with today. So I'm going to ask you to do this. When I tell you, I want you to raise your hand and look up at me. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to count to three. One, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Two, he brought you here today just so you could hear how much he loves you. Three, he's revealed himself to you. Raise your hand if you want to be born again. Look up at me. Thank you. I see your hand. I'm so proud. So glad you're here. Thank you. I see your hand. You two sitting right there. I see your hand. Yes, sir. So excited. I'm looking. Thank you. I see your hand. All across the room, up in the balcony, I'm looking. Can we pray with you to be born again today? Would you raise your hand? Thank you. I see your hand. If you raise your hand, I want you to place them down one more time. I'm going to ask, Pastor Don, I didn't raise my hand the first time, but I want to be included in this prayer. Would you raise it now so I can see you? Thank you, sweetheart. I see your hand, both of you. Thank you. I see your hand. for your life. Those of you that raise your hand, I want to lead you in this prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. God's Holy Spirit has come and revealed himself to you in a powerful way. He's renewed your spirit and made you born again. Say this prayer with me and all of us together, let's say this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.
Church, let's celebrate with those who are born again today.